0: Three, two, one, D, and go! It's the reason. Oh wait, hold on. Okay, let me jump moment.
1: in. Ah, it. It. Oh, I missed it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, let's try it. Again. Okay, ready? Three,
0: two, one, D. And Grandma penis. Now wait, what?
1: What was that? Not grandma I got, penis i think i got a different lyric sheet
0: <laughs> you apparently did that is not the theme song for digital noise that oh, i'm trying man, to write i'm sorry well i got lin-manuel miranda uh
1: working on some stuff for us so well, you yeah, know, i mean that's pretty good it might take a minute
0: you know <laughs> Yeah,
1: he's a little busy but well he's gonna do house part two <laughs> well, house part two that's where i remember him from is when he played uh like augie or audi on on house
0: Oh, on the TV show? Yeah. I thought yeah. you were talking about the old horror movie with the greatest American hero in it. No, no, not that one. Although, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood's coming around. So, Lynn Lin-Manuel was one of the characters on House?
1: Yeah, when when uh, House got locked up in the loony bin, uh-huh. uh, he was his, like, little buddy. <laughs> wow, I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. When I when I saw Hamilton, I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's House's little buddy. <laughs> wait a minute, you saw Hamilton? Well, no, I mean, like, footage of Hamilton. Oh, okay. Fair enough. No, I mean I I, I saw it with Mike Pence.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know what else to add to that except this is Digital Noise. I'm Chris. Hi. That's Joe. Hello. <laughs> he, he can't say his name. He's like Mr. Mitzelpleck. He'll go back to the fifth dimension. Get a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit back to the Just his penis. Yeah. It's <laughs> fourth and a quarter. Nobody wants that. So, uh, we Good dimension, have, not the penis. The, we review Blu-rays and DVDs. we got a shit ton of stuff to talk about this week, partially because I had to front load everything because uh, South by Southwest is starting mm-hmm. up. So mm-hmm. I was like, everything I pretty much have, we're reviewing. <laughs> okay. Fair <laughs> so, enough. So uh, there's a lot of stuff you didn't get to see just Mm-mm. because it showed up up in the last few days. And yeah. it's like, okay, sorry, but we're going to get through it anyway. Uh, please click on those Amazon links and buy whatever you're going to buy from Amazon, starting from our links, because we get a kickback no matter... Uh, You know, I mean, as long as you start from our links, you don't have to buy that item. Although you can some stuff on here. You might be like, yeah, I totally am going to buy that movie after hearing what they had to say about it.
1: About fifth dimensions and penises. Now, look, folks, here's a pro tip. This is what old Joe does. Joe has the Amazon Visa credit card where he gets triple points back for shopping on Amazon with the card. Use the one of us link. You're making money for everybody. Yeah,
0: It's good across the board for Mm. everyone except the cats who get nothing from anything because they have shit for credit. They do. (laughs) It's true. They monkeys applied for a credit card like seven times and they always did. Uh, Oh, in the same month, that's going to just wreck your score monkey. They're like, as near as we can tell you're not a person. So (laughs) sorry, (laughs) sorry. You can never be a human monkey. Uh, but yeah, please use Amazon links. Also, please become a subscriber. Can't tell you how much that helps. You're supporting all the shows and the very existence of One of usnet by being a subscriber. You just you're you're what keeps us going more than anything else, and I can't say how much I appreciate it. Uh, some exclusive content on there for you guys. Hopefully, more coming soon. Post South by Southwest and maybe even before if I get lucky, we're gonna get see uh, Robert Cargill on here to do a commentary track for Doctor Strange with us, which is cool because they didn't even ask him to show up on any of the bonus features for Doctor Strange. What? Assholes. He doesn't even show up once. Not he has even a in great the, beard. Not in any. I watched. All the behind-the-scenes stuff and everything—he's mm-hmm. not on it. But anyway, we'll get to Doctor Strange when we get to Doctor Strange. We do have Doctor Strange this episode, or did we already do Doctor?
1: No, Strange? Doctor Spooky should be on this. Yeah,
0: really? Did I forget to add it? I to think it? you
1: might have. I think I did.
0: Uh, all right, so we'll just start with Doctor Strange then. How about that? <laughs> yeah, Let's do okay. the reviews. Oh, the reviews. Dr. Strange is out on Blu-ray. How about that, folks? Aren't you lucky? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually was a little nervous about going to see it because, like, I've always had a kind of a rule, like, don't review stuff that somebody you're really close to did. Right. And, you know, Cargill and I are still pretty good friends, and he did, in fact, write this movie. And I was like, well, if I hate it but I'm going in on the review, then I'm a real, I feel like a real dick, but if I love it, it also, it sounds like I'm just being Fan service, yeah. But, you know what, whatever. I really, really, really like Doctor Strange a lot, and a lot of that had to do with the visual sensibility.
1: Oh, the visuals were were honestly the best part. I was was like, ooh, I'd like to watch this again, because it's so uh, wavy gravy.
0: It it was very wavy gravy. Um, Definitely inspired by stuff like The Matrix and Inception, Mm -hmm. the the sensibilities of of like the, the reality Bending, but nonetheless feeling original because of the context, the way they did it. It's like the guys of the Matrix having a fight inside the sequences in Inception when the buildings are folding in on each other.
1: Well, yeah, like uh, as, as he's traversing the the whole like super dupery space, I felt like okay, so the the wonkier parts of the Ellen Moore Swamp Thing could be turned into a film, like because that's that's essentially what I always imagined it would look like. Now, I will say. I would love to watch Doctor Strange again, but maybe the Spanish dub, so I don't have to hear Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, American accent. <laughs> it's
0: it's not the worst English guy doing an American accent I've ever heard, but it's not the best either. Well, it's just real w- strange. It's not as bad as that guy from uh, who plays uh, the one the the younger half of Firestorm on Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, that guy's yeah. actually really British. And mm. every time I see him do an American accent, I'm like, it just kills your ability to act on any level. <laughs> just please don't. Whereas Cumberbatch is still, I mean, the man is like, he's like a myth himself at this point. Well, he's sure. Yeah. Man. And he does, he does a, a pretty damn good job regardless of that. But you're still asking yourself watching this. Is there any reason that he couldn't have been British? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I don't know, grew up in Britain land and then decided to come to America Britain land. I like mm-hmm. that. That's mm-hmm.
1: where it's That's where it's from.
0: Uh, but yeah, Cumberbatch is great the story, despite ending with the it's a giant hole in the sky, which is a pretty <laughs> much a, a Marvel, like a cliche at this point for it, these films. Well,
1: I mean, a lot of it was super like uh, Marvel uh, moldy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, the Marvel films are, are definitely have a history of being somewhat formulaic, but because of the strength of the characters mm-hmm. and the, the innovation of the, of the, you know, stuff like that they were doing with this, the, you know, the, the gimmick of how magic works here and just really good, fun dialogue, you're kind of like, yeah, that's okay that it kind of follows a bit of a formula.
1: I could have said, I could have used a lot more Mads Mikkelsen
0: myself. <laughs> and it's <was> typical <laughs> with these things. Mads Mikkelsen, who is the main villain here, is really not we really don't know that much about him, and he's not that interesting of a villain. I mean, I thought it was kind of a, like, I mean, I get there like, oh, he's gotta be evil, evil, but you're like, you know, he's not really he's he's kind of misinformed. People. Yeah, his his heart is in the right place. I kind of would have liked to see him be a little more snarky, funny.
1: You know? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I love the like, no, it's strange. Like, I'm not one to judge.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, uh, uh, oh,
1: uh, we we missed the point. Uh,
0: but you know, I mean, it's this whole movie is setting up a villain for future movies, and that's yes. one good thing about it. Like Baron Mordo is essentially the Loki of this film. That mm. they're like, okay, they're setting up and giving you all the character build up so that when eventually he's the main villain in something, he's the that much more interesting right we know a lot about him but i think my favorite character in this whole thing is dr strange's uh, cloak of levitation oh yeah i mean
1: that cloak is a wisecracker
0: it's it's the you know the movie goes from like this is pretty good to wow this is pretty great the moment he puts on the cloak at about the halfway point mm-hmm. and because the cloak is like spawn's cloak it's kind of alive itself <laughs> and it's like fucking with him it's like yeah you dumbass what are you doing no it, go this way
1: don't even have to get sent to hell to get one
0: no, in this particular case you don't, although, I mean, I guess Strange probably goes to hell at some point, just not in this movie. <laughs> Dr.
1: Strange goes to hell, it's like a weekend of Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: there is, of course, it being a Marvel film, they make it worth your while with a lot of the extra features. There's a lot of featurettes on here, looking at every, uh, every single detail of the production you can imagine, um, as well as like a look at, one of the coolest things on here is the Marvel Studios Phase 3 exclusive look, which is, Shows how we got here with clips from other films and mm-hmm. then starts showing where it's going after Doctor Strange with some clips we've never seen before from some upcoming movies. Oh my. So it's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Like just a little here and there and like some, uh, some art from upcoming stuff that's kind of revealing that was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, as well, you get Team Thor Part Two, which is that if you remember, I can't remember, I think it was Captain America Civil War, but I'm not sure which the first one was on where it's basically during Civil War. Thor, like, just is in Jesus Australia out, yeah. living with a roommate, like, who's just a normal guy. And this <laughs> is, like, the sequel to that with more of Thor and his doofy roommate. Okay, So if you like that first one, here's more of it. Um few deleted, like, about almost eight minutes of deleted and extended scenes that honestly don't add a whole lot. But there's, like, there's one sequence I like with the, where uh, the bad guy and his uh, disciples are all doing the spell to contact Dormammu. And the uh-huh. one guy just doesn't work for him. So they're like, sorry, dude, you die.
1: Well, you got to make the grade
0: very short gag reel wasn't terribly funny and an audio commentary with just the director, Scott Derrickson. Never understand why they ever do of an audio uh, commentary with only one person.
1: Yeah, because uh, with, with with one or more, they get to, to, or I mean more than one, they get to like play off of each other and yeah. remember things, the other one didn't. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh,
0: and just you get that sense of chemistry, that, that camaraderie, and the fact that he and Cargill are such good friends. Mm. I'm really kind of sh- surprised. The only reason I can think why Cargill's not on here is because the studio is still genuinely upset with him over that little snafu. <laughs> uh but that he did on double toasted i don't know if you heard oh yeah. yeah let's let's not let's not shed more light on it yeah I, I i asked him about it he's like yeah they're probably not gonna ask me back i was like ooh, that's unfortunate because i thought he did a good job writing this thing um but yeah like i said that's why i brought up the thing earlier we're hoping for subscribers gonna have a commentary so cargill gets to have his say that's right uh, all right. Well, with that being said, let's move on to our next title, which is another one of the biggest releases this month, which is Disney's release of Moana. Um, this is the, God, can you believe 56th Disney animated feature film? That's Boy, insane. does it feel like, it. all right,
1: name them all. Uh, Snow White. Uh, no, it doesn't right? have to be in order,
0: for the record. Um, go, go ahead. Snow White in no, space. No, see, you've already fucked up. There's okay, no well, Snow fine, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm sure you got a list. You forgot about Peter Pan.
1: No, I don't think that was Disney. Hmm. I can't remember any other. <laughs>
0: anyway, oh, Aladdin. Aladdin was in. There. Oh yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise. Uh, this is uh, was nominated for uh, best animated feature this year. Lost as Zootopia, another Disney film. Although I thought this was. I thought this was the superior film personally, but there seems to be a lot of, like, uh, back and forth from people on which movie they preferred.
1: I thought that the water effects
0: were bad to the ass. Yeah, the visuals here are some of, and the transfer to Blu-ray for, with them are some of the most beautiful we've seen from a Disney release. And hey, come on, people! Coconut pirates! <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're adorable. And story here, you have your your lead princess who keeps protesting she's not a princess. I love the when the, the Dwayne Johnson's character <laughs> points out, uh, I'm sorry, you have a silly, a dumb animal sidekick with you and you're on a quest? You're a princess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she lives on an island... And has to return the this little stone, the heart of something. I can't. Taffiti. Taffiti, uh, with the guy who actually took it in the first place and caused this black virusy plague that's taking wow. out islands everywhere. Uh, and that person, being a trickster demigod uh, named Maui, that's played by Dwayne Johnson. So she has to find him, uh, and uh, and go to this island and put the heart in and save the day. And and then hey, spoilers, uh, you know they go on that quest. They, they do, in yeah. fact, go on that yeah. quest. With a lot of reluctance from Maui, who's like, I don't <laughs> want to do this. This is not my job, man. But they got a really awesome chicken. So, I mean, it balances out. But the, the single dumbest sidekick character in Disney history. Don't talk about Alan Tudyk like that. Uh, well, it's funny they even, like... <laughs> like, got paid Alan Tudyk to be, do it, because he's literally he has no dialogue, but, Buck-a! but he was like, sure, I'll take some money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't care. I can go, but on Mike as many times as you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mean dumbest in terms of bad. I mean, dumbest intent in terms of, like, Yes, intellectually challenged. Yeah, I mean, even for a a rooster, it is like something's wrong with its brain. Yes. But that leads to much hilarity. No, so much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I personally really like this. I know you weren't as crazy about the songs. I I actually really like the songs. Lin-Manuel... Miranda wrote a good deal of them, uh, including the, what I thought was like, it wasn't nominated, it wasn't the one that was nominated for best song, but the song that Jermaine Clement, who's playing sort of a giant monster crab, Crab. has a song that's very David Bowie-esque. Yes. And I thought that was by far the best song and song (laughs) sequence of the whole movie. Um. Yeah, I, I really like this a lot and I, I hope that more people who are, are like maybe a little cynical about, uh, Disney cartoons give it a shot because I think that, um, It's definitely more than enough here for adults to enjoy. It's not just for kids, which is always the mark of a really good animated film that kids are going to like it, but adults are also going to go, wow, I could I could watch that again easily. Mm
1: -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's a
0: Disney film, so it comes with a bunch of bonus features, lots and lots of featurettes on every tiny detail of the production. And then you have the short film that played in front of it, Inner Workings, which is really cute. Oh,
1: I missed it. I'm sorry what happened.
0: Describe Uh, it. It's like you're watching a guy's Day from the viewpoint of his organs. Okay, so All it's right. like his brain and his heart and his lungs and everything, and so it keeps like X-ray imaging on him with what's going on. No, so it's kind of like Riccio. I like it. And then oh, no, it's not like Riccio. <laughs> no, okay, one then I yanks don't like it. Them out of his body. <laughs> uh, although it would have been interesting. Uh, and these things lately have been coming with like a new mini movie. And sure enough, this has one called "Gone Fishing," which is the Maui trying to go fishing and. Uh, uh, Moana is fucking with him, and it's really short, and it doesn't add anything, and it's not that funny. Man,
1: I, I wanted some follow up on that damn uh, little tortoise or sea turtle that, that that
0: appeared in the beginning. Yeah, never showed up again. He shows up, and he's later. He's Gamora. That would have been great. I would have been into that. Uh, 25 minutes, and, well, almost 26 minutes of deleted scenes. That's pretty crazy. There was a lot of stuff. And then there's a whole deleted, entire deleted song, uh, Warrior Face, that they introduce, is introduced here by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote it, that was uh, presented against the basic animation, the unfinished animation mm-hmm. that was originally going to be there. Huh. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Moana, totally solid. So, an animated film we got that you did not get to see. No. But was, uh, sweat, literally swept at the Austin Film Critics Award, and yes, maybe that's a little nepotistic because it was made in Austin. (laughs) But, you know, one of the awards it won was, like, Best Austin Film. I remember hearing about this. It's Tower. Um, This is a movie about Charles Whitman in 1966, who climbed to the top of the University of Texas Tower in Austin with a uh, high-powered rifle and started murdering people from a distance. And they, this went on for um, hours before they finally managed to get up there mm-hmm. and get the guy and, uh, included 16 dead three and uh three dozen wounded and they tell this story realizing ut has traditionally really tried to distance themselves completely from this ever having happened mm-hmm. so they knew there was no way ut was going to give them permission to like go on campus and recreate this stuff at all yeah uh, so they decide to do it all using like this sort of rotoscope style of animation and it really works uh it's done it's not you know it's not done in a fictionalized sense at all. It's right. done like a documentary, but they just, the whole thing is animated. Interesting. With ca- occasional bouts of live action. But this really is a terrific and, and kind of exciting documentary. Well, this, I wouldn't know. Does this is, no. Well, I can loan it to you if you want to see it. Um, it's, it's weird how, like, and rare when a documentary can keep you on the edge of your seat, but it does it by keeping this all kind of in real time, mm-hmm. like, where it's, like, as it's going along, you're following just the course of events as they as they happened. Interesting. And it it was really scary. People are still freaked out about it. You can go on campus and see places still in, like, the stonework where bullets took out pieces of the stonework.
1: Well, I mean, forever, the, the tower was closed to the public. Well, I think it still is, isn't it? No, it's opened up now. Is it?
0: Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> me think yeah.
1: actually like i I went to tech and uh, tech had a tower too, and just because of what happened at U T uh they closed their tower to the public
0: also uh, well I'm, who can blame them I mean this is an example of like you know a lone crazy person, Charles Whitman, who was definitely that. He wasn't, like, part of an organization or anything like that. Well, unless you count the Marines. Yeah, well, (laughs) nobody put him up to this. There was no conspiracy. He was a crazy person. And and this doesn't focus as much on him as a person. It really just is, like, kind of from the viewpoint of people who are watching this whole thing unfold and, Mm -hmm. like, what's happening? Really, really good. Tower is definitely one of the best films uh that nobody has seen yet from 2016. That is now, well, it's about to be out on Blu-ray. So well, there you go. You should keep your eye out for that. Uh, real briefly, I'm not going to cover this next one at length because ultimately this new Blu-ray release of Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 animated film, is exactly the same release as the previous Blu-ray release. What they've done is... They've slipped a really nice Mondo slipcover on the original artwork that's gorgeous looking over that. And I think the reason is they're probably even now putting together and developing like a brand new fancy schmancy ghost in the shell because the live action. Oh, right. And the downside is this thing doesn't have any bonus features, but it's the movie. It's a decent Blu-ray copy and it really is a gorgeous Blu-ray cover. And we will be giving this away on the site here shortly for anybody who's really into this movie and wants the cool artwork. Well, there you go. Yeah, it could be yours. Uh, so uh, what did you think of Ghost of the Shell? Have you ever seen it?
1: Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I was, I was a teenager in the mid nineties. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as far as like, uh, early to mid nineties anime wave goes, it was pretty informative, but for people who read the manga first, it was very excruciating. (laughs) How so? Uh, cause it, it differs and the art style was so far removed from Masamune Shiro's. That it was kind of like, well, oh, I mean, that's part of what this dude's known for. I don't know. It was, it was like a very different tone. I mean, it works on its own, but it's just, it's just one of those things where you keep the book versus the movie separated. In yeah. Mind.
0: Very different versions of it. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, because we had already seen Akira, and we were just blown away by how good Akira was. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the first time I saw Ghost in the Shell, I was kind of let down by it, because it's not as good as Akira. It's not as impressive as Akira on 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 either a story or an animation level. But it is a really good movie, regardless. It's just... I guess I was, that being the second big anime film I'd ever seen, I was, like, ready for, that had been so hyped, I was ready for Mm. something that was going to explode my mind the way Akira did. Then I was like, yeah, it was okay.
1: I think I slogged through a lot of shitty anime in those early days. Mm. So, uh, like, while it wasn't Akira, it was like, whew, at least this isn't that other crap I've been watching. Yeah, fair
0: (laughs) enough. Like, you know, it's not like uh, the television stuff. Yeah. With that irritating thing they do where they freeze, they do the background with, like, a lightning bolt that's moving it's it a lot cheap. It's yeah, super cheap to animate. I can hate that shit. Anyway, sorry, enough about me and my failings. Let's move on to <laughs> one of the other really great animated things that came out this week or this month Justice League Dark. Man, I really enjoyed this. And yeah, I, it was super fun. I was pretty nervous about it too because I, you know, I mean, me coming back into comics mm-hmm. after leaving it from being a little, little kid reading Superman and Batman and Spider Man, spending years not reading it and then going. Somebody going, man, you should pick up some of these Vertigo books like the Sandman and Hellblazer. They're really good mm-hmm. and got right sucked back into reading comics again mm-hmm. because of Vertigo. Well, recently in the new 52 run, DC decided, well, we're just going to take the most popular characters that have become big parts of the Vertigo universe, which mm-hmm. is much more mature, much more adult oriented, um, and pop them right back into the regular DC universe's primary characters in a Justice League spinoff. Justice League Dark, where it's basically a team of magic-powered superheroes. I saw Justice League After Dark once. It was a real different. <laughs> it was like Red- <laughs> Justice League Red Shoe Diaries. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I was a little nervous about this. The comic book wasn't totally thrilling me. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's just another superhero book, basically. Yeah, As opposed is, no. to the Vertigo versions, where they're like, wow, these are really smart adult stories of uh, that get super dark. But if you can separate all that out. And watch this as just, this is, yes, it's a new DC animated universe superhero movie that involves uh, the characters from their magic universe. John Constantine, Zatanna, Deadman, Man, Etrigan the Demon, the Swamp Thing, Black Orchid, uh, amongst others. Yeah, look. And you actually end up with a pretty fun uh DC animated universe film that is much better than any of the other recent releases from this title. Well, and having Constantine voice Constantine is pretty, pretty faboo. Yeah, they brought in Matt Ryan who, who voiced him, who played him in the short-lived Constantine live action series as well as on an episode of Arrow. Yeah, they, boy, that show did not get a chance. But they really didn't. It's funny. I was reading a, the, one of the reviews I read online for this from the, I think Blu-ray.com where just took every opportunity to bash the TV show and, and say the one good, the only good thing about that show was was matt ryan i was like did you not get past the first couple episodes yeah it was fine we did get pretty good yeah and it was much better than (laughs) (laughs) Grimm. uh you know i mean this is it's jason omara who's become lately the kind of go-to guy for these things to play batman is the main uh, non-magic universe character who's in this i mean i feel like this reflects more of dc being afraid to do a any new standalone any new characters that aren't, right. aren't <laughs> widely familiar without Batman being there. Batman Thumosa is just like, do you guys really need me here? <laughs> <He's> just kind of <laughs> I can go there. get a Coke. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he is warned by Boston brand slash dead man, Fine Constantine, who he had no idea who he was mm. in this context of the story, because there are... The supernatural threat that is kind of possessing people and making them go completely, like, zombie crazy. Yeah. And kill people. Go and demony nuts. But, yeah, I mean, I had a really good time with this. There's a lot of funny dialogue throughout this thing. Um, you get to see some of the other Justice League, like Superman and Wonder Woman, look, like, impotent compared <laughs> up against a supernatural threat, you know? And John Constantine... Who, you know, let's be clear again, difference between the Vertigo and the Vertigo universe, his magic is sort of what I think he called synchronicity magic. Mm. It's more like, well, if I don't worry about it, everything's going to be fine. You know, <laughs> like I can just walk onto an airplane and fly to America and I'm there because it just never occurred to me someone might ask me for tickets <laughs> or <a> passport. <laughs> Whereas here, he's like, you know, practically Green Lantern. He's just yeah. blasting shit left and right. I mean, he got no soul left. He better get it back. But he is pretty badass.
1: I wish there was more Swamp Thing.
0: Yes, that is one thing I'll say like, okay, weird choice since the Swamp Thing is one of the biggest characters on even on the cover is really kind of a deus ex machina here more than he's yeah. a, a big character. I mean, they're, and they're definitely playing him as he's become now in the, the comics. I mean, even in vertigo where he's like full on acknowledges, I'm not a human. I was never a human. I was a God who thought he was a human. Oops. The doodles. <laughs> and, uh, I really am not crazy about humans. You guys can <laughs> generally go fuck yourself. You douchebags. <laughs> well, and he's right. Uh, the bonus features here, uh, there's a sneak peek at the upcoming one, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, which I'm actually really excited yeah, about. Yeah, same. That's like one of the all-time great DC storyline runs with uh, Deathstroke the Terminator and and uh, his lover, Terra, who's a terrorist plant in the Teen Titans. Terrorist. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's a pretty cool, like, you know, showing enough of that to go, okay, I'm excited about this. Uh, there's also, they always do one at that features just like the history of a character and here strangely enough feeling he's such a minor character in this movie they picked the swamp thing to do like 18 minutes on him one thing made me laugh like, Len w- Wine is one of the main, the two guys who created the yeah. Swamp Thing originally, right? But yep. the character was, you know, I mean, had periods of being popular before Alan Moore came on. But come on, fellas. Uh, <laughs> yes. But you watch this thing and Len Wine is just talking smack about Alan Moore's Big run. time. Like, <laughs>
1: oh yeah, he's made so many great comic books just by accident, buddy. Like, what's up? Come on, man. It was
0: like, Len, Len. I mean, you've done a lot of great stuff, but like, come on. You cannot deny that Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing was better than anyone else's. That's a weird shit. That's weird <laughs> shit to even suggest. Yeah, you know what? Just say like, oh, that guy, right, and then move on. <laughs> uh there's other stuff like a look at Justice League Dark when it was at New York Comic Con uh panel, and then weirdly add like sneak the just repeat the sneak peeks at two older yeah, titles I that was Justice weird. League Doom and Gods and Monsters. I'm like, uh these things already came out. Why is this on here?
1: Yeah, it was like coming in twenty thirteen.
0: Team. Yeah, it's one of those like I guess we have extra space. We'll fill it up with something, um, and then there's uh, there's always episodes of TV show things that have some similarity. So here it's two episodes from Batman: The Brave and the Bold, uh, the Dawn of the Dead Man, and Trials of the Demon. So. I mean overall this is a pretty solid thing and if you buy the you know the nicer set it comes with a little John Constantine action oh, figure. Oh, it's so, adorable. Yeah. I didn't have a John Constantine smaller size action figure. Now I have two. What? I have a big one and a small one. Oh, lucky. I'm the only guy on the planet who has that. All right. So one of the titles that's honestly hard for me to it's this week is a really hard week for me to call the best in show film, you know, the the best of the week. Right. It really is, because there's too many great ones, but one of the ones that's in contention for me is this Belgian film, uh, Belgium, Belgian, France, and Luxembourg film called The Brand New Testament. Yep. I saw this thing at Fantastic... I think it was Fantastic Fest. Pretty sure it was Fantastic It might have been South by Southwest. It's been a while. Uh, and it blew me away, and we were trying to, last year, like, nominate it for... Best Foreign Film, but it had gotten no release at all here in America, except Mm -hmm. for at festivals. Like, well, we can't nominate it. So this year it came in second. Uh, I think The Handmaiden was the one that actually won for Best Foreign Film this year with us. uh, But this was definitely, I'm very sure, was the second, the first runner up, as it were. And this is very sort of like, I don't know, look, it's like if Jean Genet directed a Terry Pratchett novel.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely say it's it's fantastically adorable. Yeah,
0: it's got that same sort of whimsical Jean Genet doing like Amelie or something like that mm-hmm. style, but it has sort of the comedy that's more ter- Terry Pratchettish mm-hmm. with like a very sardonic, darker edge to it. Uh, the idea being God is a douchebag who sits around his house all day in his uh, his his robe and slippers in an apartment in Brussels, or he lives with his wife who's afraid to even say a word to him, and uh, his ten year old daughter. Daughter, who, daughter, who's tired of his bullshit. He's emotionally abusive. He's physically abusive. And God is just a sadist who only created humankind because it, he had wanted to create something. He was that bored, he could baby. Fuck with yeah, he just wanted to have something he could cause pain and agony to. He was a dick. Uh, and they're all still God's still mad at his son Jesus, who snuck out of the house <laughs> and almost. He's like almost fucked everything up. He was giving them hope and the the the, the under, made them understand they have free will. What a. Dick, you can't have that going around. <laughs> no. So uh, his daughter decides, after talking to the little miniature Jesus action figure they got in the house, decides <laughs> that that uh, she is going to escape as well. After Jesus tells her how to escape, down to earth, and find six disciples of her own, because her mom always said, "Well." Twelve isn't really the right number. Eighteen is how many men there are in a baseball team. Right. So. Twelve is a hockey lineup, which is dad likes. Yeah, exactly. So, mm. yeah. Um, so she goes down there to get to find these people and give them to write this brand new testament with her. And before she does that, she gets on dad's computer and basically sends everyone on the planet the a countdown timer on their phone that shows exactly to the second when they're gonna die. Which I think is pretty handy. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would would you really want that? Like, would you want to know that you're going to die in a month? Sure. it lets me prioritize things. I mean, I would want to know I'm going to die in like 70 years. I'd be like, yeah,
1: <laughs> hey, whenever it is, it's like, well,
0: fuck work. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's something there's something uh, that feels like you would ruin anything good in your life, regardless of which way it went. Like, if you had well. tons of time, you would just go fuck off. If you had almost no time, you'd just go fuck off. You pretty much just go fuck off. Well, it depends on what your goals are. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, I, I I trust me, I, I would want to know that information. <laughs> but this ends up being a very funny film with these weird people who are not like, you know, Jesus's disciples. Like, one of my favorite is a guy who's like, just decided early on that he liked killing things. And yep. after this happened, he was like, well, I've got a sniper rifle and I'm going to hide out in this park and I'm going to shoot some people because if I... Hit them and they die. They were meant to die because we all because of the thing that came down that said, "Oh, well, we know exactly when we're going to die," and it's never been wrong. If I miss them, they weren't meant to die. It's just that simple. But uh, yeah, this way I get to kill when I am excited about His it. His math checks out, and he's one of the disciples. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there's some weird choices there, like Catherine Deneuve leaves her husband for a gorilla, mm-hmm. which is weird and awkward. But
1: it makes, uh, but the math still checks out <laughs> <laughs>
0: internally. It's very strong. Yeah, I mean, what did you think of this movie? It's a very odd film, to be sure, but it resonated with me quite a bit. Uh, I just found it amusing. Yeah? uh, I mean, no no, no great shakes, not awful. It was just like, oh, this is cute. I mean, it's definitely cute. There's, There's no doubt about that. It does its best to be adorable, but it also gets pretty goddamn dark, especially with God who follows his daughter down to Earth to try and capture her and find out he's pretty much powerless on Earth. So, he just kind of has the worst-case scenario time. While well,
1: there. I mean, it was definitely him. his up were were being served.
0: Yes. You know, like I said, he's not a nice guy at all. Um, and uh, I... Shit, I never dig find a list, because this hasn't actually come out yet. So, I didn't find the list of extra features. There are a nice selection of bonus features on here, but one of which is there's a short film that's by the same director. Wow. It's kind of has... I mean, it's about a little kid. Mm. And it's kind of like except it's all done with like a little kid narrator and it's like shows him to the end of his life, bemoaning his dad, never coming home after leaving one day, dude, dad had to get cigarettes, but gone. it's weird as it goes along when you realize why is this narrated in the voice of a child? When clearly this is from the awareness of this guy's whole life until mm-hmm. he's old, very strange little movie. Anyway, let's move on to another one of those. Uh, we're get, we got a whole bunch in a row here of contenders for uh, best of the sh- best in show. And this one is was my favorite film of 2016. Oh, you super lerved it! Super lerved it! And okay, that is Arrival. You guys have probably already gotten sick of hearing me go on and on and on again about how this was, in fact, the best film, uh, di- directed by Denis Villeneuve, who did also the wonderful Sicario, which I really mm, loved, yeah. and the Mixed Prisoners. There's a lot of stuff I really love about it. There's stuff I was like, well, that didn't really work. I right. hadn't seen The Prisoners. And as well, Mixed Enemy, which is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal dealing with a, an exact duplicate of him, him running around. Bit. <laughs> That's but camp. This is definitely, as of yet, uh, Villeneuve's uh, masterpiece. It's also one of my favorite Amy Adams movies. And it's her it's her film. It's Amy Adams' film. Oh, totally. totally as yeah. Aliens land on Earth and giant weird black... Ovoid, half ovoid ships, and she is a master linguist, is summoned by the government in to try and communicate with these guys with the help of a um, mathematician played by Jeremy Renner. A physicist. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, he's a theoretical physicist. That's so. right. It's math, whatever. It's all and math. Math is their tool. Math, 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 yeah, watch it on math, math, to- is a, totally different experience. math, 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 Theoretical physics. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, Yeah. I mean, this is one of those movies that like, it's, it's hard to say it doesn't pop visually because it's all very dark and gray and grim, like everything. It's always overcast and rainy near this, this, this uh, ship where it is. And even inside the ship, it's very dark, but it's so beautifully conceived of the actual imagery here that I love the idea that these aliens she's trying to communicate with are as aliens probably would be, in no way humanoid.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the lack of anthropomorphism was appreciated.
0: Yeah, they don't think anything like humans, they don't communicate any way like humans, and they certainly don't in any way look like humans. They look like Lovecraft like uh, having a nightmare. They look like a claw. (laughs) Sort of like a claw. And... The movie itself is kind of a puzzle as it goes along to figure out what exactly is happening. But
1: don't worry. They give you major hints all the way throughout
0: it. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is you're really paying attention. You can figure it out ahead of time, but it's not going to hurt you if you figure it out ahead of time or if you figure it out when they spell it all out for you. And having seen it three times now, it does all track. I had somebody accusing accusing the film of having holes in it. I'm like, yeah, I just think you didn't understand everything that happened. In you the film.
1: mean like like the, the whole uh, causality of her going into the future and stuff like that?
0: Well, let's not give away spoilers or anything.
1: Oh, right, right.
0: Yeah. But anyway, what did you think of this movie?
1: <laughs> I wish I had a stronger opinion of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, these are these are all muted scenes and everybody's... A little uh, lazy and they're not lazy but lazed in their delivery of everything mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I don't know kind of like hipster sci-fi sort of <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a weird thing to say hipster sci-fi yeah, yeah I don't see it
1: yeah like yeah you know, art, artisan spaceships and whatnot
0: oh. no <laughs> <laughs> like, crafted yeah. with real smoked good cheese
1: no like I mean I was I was interested in it but I, I wasn't supremely titillated by it. Okay, so, but you enjoyed it. You were- yeah, yeah, no, I, I did, but I, I'm, I won't watch it again.
0: <laughs> it was interesting thinking about how different a film this would have been made would have been if David Fincher had directed it. You know, at the very least, the soundtrack would have been more like boom.
1: Oh, I did rather like the soundtrack. I did like the soundtrack quite
0: yeah. a bit as well. Um, it is. Exactly kind of where it needs to be and not anymore. Johan Johansson is the, the, the composer here, because it could have easily been just like a very Hans Zimmerish type thing. Right, it
1: could yeah. No, in, instead it, it more served the actual mood of the piece, yeah. as opposed to just being an attention piece.
0: Uh, the features here, uh, I mean, there's a few pretty lengthy features that... You know, there's one about understanding it just in general, putting it all together. There's one on the sound design. There's one on the score. There's one on the editing. And then there's one specifically, uh, and the best thing on here, that's called Principles of Time, Memory, and Language, that really tries to get through some of the kind of high-level physics ideas that some people had trouble wrapping their minds around mm-hmm. in, in the uh, culmination of this film. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, which is a shame, because the people who are most confused about that will probably never buy this blue <laughs> chance to watch this thing. That would help them a lot. But, yeah. We're just trying to help you, folks. Uh, another one of the films that certainly hard not to say for me as a contender for best of the week is uh, Manchester by the Sea. Didn't get to see it. You didn't? Oh, I thought you said you saw everything. No, that wasn't in the sack. It wasn't? Nope. Really? Yep. Hmm. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not good. What did I do with my copy of Manchester <laughs> by the Sea? I'm wondering if I accidentally loaned it to somebody who was a... Uh, Thinking they were borrowing a screener, well, maybe so. That would be bad if that happened.
1: All right, folks. So here's my my quick wrap up. Manchester. It's a place. You <laughs> see, it's a giant body of water. Put the two together, you got a movie. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's your review. There we go. There we go. I guess that works. Wait for the sequel. Casey Affleck leads the cast here, playing a guy Lee Chandler, who's a very sullen, unfriendly, not terribly intelligent janitor, lives in a basement apartment by himself in Massachusetts. Uh he only time he really goes out to see people he usually gets drunk really fast and starts fights. He's not a pleasant guy, but when Yeah, he, but can't we all relate? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> not really. I uh, we hate those guys usually. Right, um, right. But when he finds out his his very beloved brother has passed away in his hometown of Manchester by the sea, Get it? Like the t- oh, he comes back there only to find out that Joe has named him as the guardian for his teenage son Patrick, and Ugh. he's like wants no part of that. He just mm-hmm. wants to be left alone to drink himself into ten year olds can't get drunk. <laughs> no, no, not the ten. No, he's not Ted. He's like more like seventeen. Oh, okay, they yeah. can get drunk, but uh, not him. He's not drinking. Uh, Casey Affleck's character. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that 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 uh that actor is uh, Lucas Hedges, who I believe uh, like, was nominated all over the place for Best Supporting Actor for this role. But I mean, he's good. But you know, Casey Affleck is the real star of this piece, uh, who turns in this wonderfully. You know, at first, you're like, just, why is this guy such an asshole? And the movie kind of slowly pieces it together until right in the middle of the film, it shows you what, why this guy is so broken. And man, it is one of the most heartbreaking moments you've ever seen in a movie. You're like, Jesus Christ!
1: Did he have a big old tub of taffy and then it rained?
0: How did you know?
1: I just think it happened to me. The same thing happened to you. Yeah. No. Well, see, now my heart's breaking for you, Joe. You should. I'm going to get drunk and fight people.
0: Uh, as well, um,. Uh, Best Supporting Actress nominee Michelle Williams here. She's not in this a lot, but she when she is, she plays Casey Affleck's ex-wife, who's now remarried. When she is in this, she takes command of the screen.
1: Hey, I'm sorry. Is Kyle Chandler playing somebody whose
0: last name is also Chandler? Uh, Yeah, he's in the remake of Friends that appears as the TV show within the movie here. Could that be more coincidental? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. He actually plays a character. I mean, Casey Affleck is Lee Chandler. His brother, who's dead but we see in flashbacks, played by Cal Chandler, is uh, Joe Chandler. That's confusing. It is a little confusing. That should be on the Arrival Extra. (laughs) Why would they put that on the Arrival (laughs) (laughs) Extra? To explain things. Cause that's like, that's a time travel twisty, timey-wimey thing. Yeah. Uh, so not a lot of extra Blu-rays here. Commentary with the writer-director Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, there's a 16 minute, very typical EPK and like six minutes of deleted scenes. But this is the type of film you're like, what in the fuck are you going to put for deleted, for extra features on this? <laughs> like, hey, people watch this. They just want to get the fuck away from it when it's over for a day or two. And just like, let, you know, let it, Try not to kill yourself. Okay. Well that's a recommendation, folks. <laughs> you no, know, it's a great movie. It's just not a happy film in any way, shape, or form. All right. All right. It is a you come out of this feeling like shit at the end, going <laughs> like, God damn, that that guy has the worst life ever. <laughs> no, he should drink more. Uh, but, you know, that is a viable solution in this particular case. Uh, another one of the the best picture nominees that uh, you did not get to see either. No. Nope. We'll talk about briefly, is they put out a release, or they're about to put out a Blu-ray release of Fences with Denzel Washington, uh, who directed this and stars in it based on the award-winning play, Pulitzer Pro- Pro- Prize-winning play of the same name by August Wilson. Wasn't Wasn't he in the original run of that, too? Uh, James Earl Jones was the person who, uh, okay. who uh, held the role for the longest time, but I believe Denzel Washington did perform it on stage for a while as well. Okay. As did Viola Davis, who just won Best Supporting Actress for her performance in here as his w- as his character's wife here. Milgar. and this is basically a it's it's a, a what is it that, that Martin called? It? He said it's African American Death of a Salesman, basically.
1: Yeah, that's what I've heard of. You know, it's about
0: like that. Great dialogue, great performances. Really dark, as this father Denzel Washington is, um, who genuinely loves his wife, except he only thinks of himself ultimately, you know, <laughs> and maybe and may or may not be cheating on her, despite the fact that he clearly loves her anyway. I mean, the fences is the fence he's building around his backyard that he's doing because she wants it. Uh, okay. Um He's having real trouble with his son who's getting old, old enough now that he's kind of headstrong and wants to get his own way. Uh, as well as his older son from a pre- previous marriage that is, wants to, be- is getting to be a pretty good jazz musician and dad is like, ah, whatever. You're, you're worthless. Like, how is that any good? What good does... I was... I almost was a baseball star. Well, I mean, almost definitely counts. Yeah, he's like, he would have gone to the major leagues, but all those racists. He's like, well, Jackie Robinson. He's like, man, fuck Jackie Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as well, he has a brain-damaged brother that, that shows up all the time. Oh. It comes in and says, charming brain-damaged type stuff. Oh, sweet. Does he eat a lot of Werther's Originals? No, no. I don't know. Well, I guess they probably did have Werther's Originals back Back when uh, this was in 1950s Pittsburgh, but delicious. Uh, and you know, maybe I'm getting old. Uh huh. I think they are pretty delicious. They are. Uh, you know what I like is the creamy, uh, the creamy sensations ones. Have you seen those? They're no. Like the hard candy that are like they're like raspberry and cream, and so oh, um, I
1: don't do the fruit and cream uh, combos.
0: So good. Anyway, yeah, fences actually really good, but uh, ultimately you go, why is this a movie? It doesn't – it's not direct – as an adaptation to film, it doesn't really add anything to it. Mm-hmm. In fact, watching this, I'm like, man, I wish I had just seen this on stage. I mean, the real reason for this existence is just who the fuck goes to see the theater of your average Joes? Oh, if you're not a yeah. theater-going person. You will never would have heard of or encountered this thing. So this yeah, is you this great script that these people, who me included, now got to, to experience that wouldn't have had, had to otherwise – I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's good. It's just not fantastic. All right. The movie that uh, won Best Picture this year is the next one that's up. That's La La Land. no. Oh, oh, no oh, sorry. Brr. No, it's actually Moonlight. Fired. So see what happened there? <laughs> yeah, totally. Fired <laughs> as fuck. That's Moonlight. Uh, did you get to watch this one? Yes, I did. All right. Well, I'm gonna let you take this one then.
1: Uh, okay. First off, like you know, it's really hard to make a choice for the pick of the week. Bloop, bloop, bloop. No, Midnight's it for me. Really? Okay. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's it, in a way, it's it's kind of built up as being a story of a boy trying to figure out who he is and his sexuality and stuff like that. But really, it's just like the human fucking condition and the human condition. You know, at least from my experience didn't look like that. And so, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's... it's. Uh, What's the plot? I mean, I mean the, the plot is basically a, a little boy who is kind of intersecting with different people trying to make connections with him, and they always kind of are stymied by his his own, like, defenses. Uh, and eventually he, he does grow up and kind of realize who he is. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the journey of getting there and the characters that he meets and the situations that he has to put up with that, that really just show that
0: life isn't always awesome. <laughs> True. Uh, there's, this is, I mean, some people actually, the one negative thing I've heard about this at all, and I don't think it's negative. I think it's intentionally, very intentionally messing with the traditional three-act structure of mm-hmm. film, is that it's literally divided into three acts. Oh, yes, yes, so quite literally. Little, Chiron, and Black. Chiron being the name of the film's protagonist, and three different actors playing him. uh Gervonta Rhodes playing the adult Chiron, Ashton uh, Sanders as the teen, and Alex Hibbert as the little. And it's a Interesting the way how many aspects of this film in, in and out of the these little segments sort of are so very, very circular and the way things come back around. And
1: Well, yeah, for all of his growth, he's still at his core a very fragile human being. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, so like his mom, uh, you, you get to see her delve into like drug abuse and then eventually kind of try to be re- rehabilitated. You see his friends, well, friend- Kind of uh, go in between being supportive and being peer pressured into being a shithead to him. And then, you know, coming back out the end and trying to reconnect and all all of this time, uh, no matter what happens, he's he's always just trying to not be hurt by the world. And all he does is get hurt by the world, except for at the beginning a drug dealer with a heart of gold.
0: Yes, true. <laughs> Played by uh, Mahershala Ali, won the uh, Best Supporting Actor this year at the Oscars for his performance here, uh, who does indeed do a really good job. He does a fantastic job. Even though he's barely in this. Right? I was very surprised when I watched it. I was like, yeah. what? He's already gone. <laughs> yeah, he's not in it very much at all. But when he is, he's great. I mean, he's just one of those guys who are just like, I, you know, anytime he smiles, he's got that thing where you're like... I want to be friends with that guy. You've just got that sort of <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's, charisma. He definitely type does. actors and and here, despite being you know this drug dealer, he's like the, like you said, he's a drug dealer with a heart of gold. <laughs> uh, also impressive here is Naomi Harris who plays uh, Chiron's drug addict mo- mother, who yep. is uh just a she's got dumpster. her issues. She's a dumpster fire that's being pissed on. She yep. is a, a complete wreck of a human being, and it's interesting. She has her own arc as well in this thing. She
1: does. She really does. Like, and and uh, whether it, it would end well or not for her is, is left to be seen. The movie does not have a definitive ending, and yeah. I think it shouldn't.
0: I mean, like- it's, it's a coming-of-age story, ultimately, but it's a difficult one. Yes. You know, I mean, it's this guy who's coming to terms with the fact that he's gay and... And a community that that's just not something that happens. Right. Or and at his, least you don't stay inside that community.
1: And his name yeah. is Chiron, and he is extremely shy. Uh, and I, it's done intentionally, I think, but the way that you want him to say something and he almost never says something yeah. is just so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like it, it plays really well. I totally agree. So moving on to television, which I'm doing partially because I, I felt that this television series on HBO, Insecure, in some ways, reflects some of the same things that are are going on, some of the same ideas that are going on in, in Moonlight. Are you calling it Insecure? I- <laughs> no, I am not. Okay. <laughs> but Are you sure? In terms of like just feeling like people just aren't hearing you, people are having a hard time identifying I me. Mean, honestly, I would say if you just saw Get Out, mm-hmm. Insecure would be a decent little follow-up as well, dealing with that sort of like how white people look at black people and are like not trying to be racist. They're trying not to be racist, but they try so hard, they end up being racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which isn't the entire thrust of this series. It's created by uh, Issa Ray and Larry Wilmore, which is based on Ray's really popular and award-winning web series, Awkward Black Girl. Okay. And, uh, it is indeed a funny show where, you know, she, she's working. I mean, she has a good job. Her best friend, played by Yvonne Orji, has a good job as like a lawyer as well. Um, and it follows them, like, with their difficulties, like, a, like, um, Yvonne's character Molly just can't, no guy is ever good enough for, her, you know. No okay. Um, and, uh, Issa. Issa's character it has been with the same guy for a while, but a guy has appeared out of her past who's, like, hunkadelic. Uh And she's kind of in her head exaggerating the problems with her current relationship, which do exist, Mm -hmm. in order to come up with excuses to fuck this other guy. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's a funny show, but it's not laugh-out-loud funny. It's more of like, you know, I mean, this is character-based dramedy, and its I enjoyed watching it. It's only eight. Uh, half hour episodes and it is, I I thought really well worth your time. Um, uh, Like I said, especially if that sort of thing, that whole like that idea of like, it's just hard to relate to people who haven't been there, what it's like to be a black person in a non-black culture or expectations of what you're supposed to be in a black culture, Mm -hmm. even in, in this particular case, even from the viewpoint of black culture. You know, and and here being specifically what it's like to be a black woman inside of them and the expectations that go on being a black woman and the difficulties and and yada, yada, including with like black women just being friends with other black women. I thought this was really smart and I really recommend it. I was not as crazy about another show that they put out. uh Well, I guess they didn't put it out. I believe it was on Showtime, which is uh um owned. I'm sorry. No, Cinemax. My oh, Cinemax. Quarry. So do you see boobs in it? Uh, yes, you do. Okay. In fact, uh, you see quite a uh, a lot of boobs from the main character's wife, played by Jodie uh, Balfour, who is super hot. So that's not such a bad thing. Okay. Uh, here, Logan Marshall Green plays Matt Conway, who is a Marine who's come home from Vietnam in 1972 to Memphis. Uh, it, he's kind of being used as a – he and his friend are being used as an example of, like – Like when people were protesting the Vietnam veterans coming home, you know, baby killers and that sort of thing. And they've created this thing that didn't happen, the specific incident that everyone here is talking about. that keeps coming back into the story as it goes along. Does it take place in a quarry? It does not. Uh, It's more quarry. Although there is a a big scene that does take place in a quarry. Okay. Which is way too on the nose, quite frankly. And so is the fact that it's his name. Because the reason he gets the name is his friend. I mean, they're both having trouble getting jobs. Nobody wants to hire them because of the bad
1: was around them. Right. This was before Starbucks uh, supported the veterans.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Which changed everything. (laughs) Um... And his friend gets a job after he's already turned it down from this guy who is called The Broker, played by Peter Mullen, who's like, look, I basically uh – I organize hits on people and I would pay you a lot of money to assassinate people, but I guarantee you they'd all be bad people. (laughs) They would not be good people. They would be bad people. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. His friends like, yeah. And then ask him, look, we please come help me on just this one job on this first one. It's really, I, he's like, okay, I don't want to do this because you're my friend. And his friend dies doing it. Oh man. Ah shit. And he ends up because the, they can't find the money that they gave his friend because they gave him an advance, oh, like fifty thousand dollars, and they're like, "Well, now you're responsible for that." So, so now gotta... he's working for nothing, but he's really good at it, and or at least that's what they keep saying, despite the fact, as near as I can tell, he's not. <laughs> uh, uh, and is the the boss guy calls him Quarry because he always gets his quarry. Yeah. Ah. Uh, this eight eight episode first season uh, is based on a series of books apparently uh, by Max Allen Collins, which I've always heard good things about, but. Honestly, this thing, it's just so dour. There's no joy of any kind throughout this whole. There's no laughs to be had. It's not, you know, particularly overall that sexy. Um, Okay. It has style, but nothing distinctive enough to really make it go, like, stand out among other, like, sort of this sort of violent cable TV shows. And the main character is just plain not that likable or charismatic to follow so what i'm hearing is they should be lauded for being job creators <laughs> that's about <laughs> it that's about all i can think of that they should be lauded for Uh i mean this is okay it's not terrible but there's so much competition for watching narrative television oh heck
1: yeah man i mean
0: even like you know very adult narrative television uh, that this just didn't stand out for me so cory i kind of gave it like a Quarry C-. is a snorey. Uh, here's another one. I didn't force you to watch (laughs) (laughs) that is called solace. Now I already knew this movie was going to be bad and I normally don't ask for movies that I know are going to be bad, Uh except there was this one quality about it that made it. Okay. I kind of have to see this anyway. This film solace was originally written as the sequel to seven. Oh, okay. And then it was later rewritten to be not the sequel to seven. When I guess they said, no, that's silly. We don't want to do that. And when I don't know how different that original version was, but watching this version, I'm like, yeah, that would not have worked at all. But you see, you can see how some of the elements of that kind of movie are, are here, uh, here. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Abby Cornish play, uh, FBI agents that are chasing a serial killer, that has been killing people with an ice back a pick to the back of the neck. I'm, I'm really shocked he didn't get the nickname the mercy killer because it is like it's so quick. They don't mm. even know that they're dead before they're dead or the ice pick it's killer. Super painless. No, I think they already did that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like, well, I gotta, you know, we, we're not having any luck here. I'm going to call on an old friend to help, which is Anthony Hopkins who is, uh, you know, this very Morgan Freemanish type character from mm-hmm.
1: seven. I was gonna I was gonna joke, like is so is Hopkins Morgan Freeman now?
0: But except in this particular thing he's apparently a clairvoyant so he can touch oh. people and things oh, okay. and see stuff. So you're like, okay, well that clearly is not an aspect the supernatural playing <laughs> into it. Even though he keeps insisting, I don't believe there's anything supernatural about this. I just think like how some people have intuition. I have super mega charged intuition. You're like, no, clearly that's not what's it's happening. It's still Preternatural, buddy. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm a scientist. Anyway, <laughs> um it's mainly sort of a team up between him and Abby Cornish, though, for reasons I don't want to get into. But Ultimately, they reveal very early on who the killer is, and it's Colin Farrell, how they reveal on the fucking cover of the movie who the killer uh, is. Oh, uh, is he, does he play bullseye? Well, it's uh, no, he does not. <laughs> the The twist is Colin Farrell has the same ability Anthony Hopkins does, what? which is one of the reasons they can't catch him.
1: Oh, come on. Because he knows,
0: like, one house they go into, there's a card by the door that has the exact time they opened the door, the police opened the door, and you're mm-hmm. like, okay. See oh, what's happening. Insidious. Um the, the thing is, there's some neat stuff happening in the, in the story conception here where I'm like, wow, this could have been a really good film, but it just isn't. And it's partially the acting is kind of flat. And the, this director, Alfonso Poyart, who, uh, has only did this other movie called Two Coelos, uh a Portuguese film that apparently is supposed to be pretty good. I don't, it's all so cliched, like his, like all the imagery and everything when he's trying to be creepy, it's like there's nothing here that we haven't seen a billion times before. It feels very made for television and overall, big disappointment. And like I said, kind of a shame because the twists, the way they play out, are actually really well done and kind of cool, but that's all in the sort of conception of the story. Mm. You're like, wow, this is a great story with terrible execution. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really is a shame because I think this could have honestly been a great movie, not a sequel to seven, mind you, but, and, and that's part of, you can't help but think about that watching <laughs> this. Cause you're like, it's trying to be so dark and the killer killer has these clever mise on scene things. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Man, you are no David Fincher, dude. This just—you're just not even in the same league. You know, yeah, you're not back- even playing the same sport. Go back to I- your two rabbits. I-, I don't know what's happening here, but Solace provided me with none. Uh, you also did not get to see Trespass Against Us. Now, I actually kind of like this one. British-American film uh, directed by Adam Smith, who has got the most basic name of all time. <laughs> <laughs> He's best known for a TV director on, like, Doctor Who and the show Skins. And there's certainly, to some degree, a kind of a television element here. But what is the seller here are your leads, which is Michael Fassbender as Chad and Brendan Gleeson as his father, Colby, who are, uh, I guess, travelers, grifters. Okay. You know, they live in, like, an RV camp with a bunch of other people. They're regularly pulling crap. Rhymes. are they pikeys i'm not sure what that is uh kind of thing like british gypsies yeah i guess so okay yeah um I, I don't i don't think they ever actually say but yeah basically that i mean they're con they they do stuff just to do it sometimes just to fuck with people Like at one point they take a car and spray paint it completely except for a little slit to see out and then just start driving around not knocking that down shit just, <laughs> you know just to fuck with the police that who are uh, rory Kinnear playing the lead police officer here who's near as we can tell, somewhat incompetent. But what it comes down to is disagreements between Michael Fassbender and Brendan Gleeson and how how um, Michael Fassbender should be raising his children. And his wife is kind of like, we need to get out of this life. Yeah. And, well. uh, Brendan Gleeson is like, why are you sending them to school? <laughs> he's like, you know, racist. He's, you know believes in like the Bible's exact word of God while still choosing to ignore all the stuff about you shall not kill, you shall not steal, (laughs) you shall
1: not he's not not arguing it's validity. He just doesn't
0: subscribe to it. Exactly. Um it's got really solid performances. It's ex- sometimes extremely exciting to watch. I mean, there's some really fun sequences in here, but ultimately nothing really adds up to a hell of a lot. You're kind of like, so is this feels more like the pilot for a show than it does a whole standalone movie, like a show I would totally watch, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it doesn't feel like its own thing as a movie. But if you really like Fastmender and Gleason, which you should, this is a nice showcase for both of their talents. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm sad I didn't watch it, uh, another one here that I feel like is not a terribly great movie, but is a pretty good, decent showcase for some talents, especially, uh, this lead actor here. Um, and what is his name? Oh, Mr. Attractive Man? Mr. Attractive, not James Franco. No, 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 no. Uh, uh Dominic Reigns. Yeah, that dude. Who plays a, uh, I believe he's supposed to be Iraqi? Uh, Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, oh, you're right. He's Afghanistani. Yes, exactly. Who has, was working as a translator in Afghanistan for the the military there. And this character who we see little bits of here and there as the movie goes on and he wants to get out really bad. And so his friend there's military guys like, well, look, I will help you set it all up and you can come to my small town (laughs) Out in the country with a bunch of rednecks and live with my mom, played with, by Melissa Leo. Yeah,
1: Shitzville, <laughs> North
0: California. Yeah, Melissa Leo can't be couldn't be nicer. She's like, hey, any son of my friends is your friend of mine. Like, yeah, you really, like, su- surprisingly, in general, there's very little active racism in this movie when you really expect there to be. I, yeah, a I thought lot there'd be a lot more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're like, m- most people don't doesn't even occur to them that this guy is Middle Eastern, which <laughs> is pretty odd considering this is this. He's the like, one. <laughs> I mean, it's California, sure, but it's one of those redneck areas of California. Yeah, it's the red parts of California. Uh, and he wants to be a journalist, and he's being like, told like, by his friend, oh, yeah, I'll get you a job there at the newspaper, but there is no job. And he basically says, okay, look, I'll do whatever you got, which is writing for the local police blotter, which is mm. nothing. It pays almost nothing. But he's like, well, it's a start. And along the way, he ends up sort of becoming friends with James Franco, who is like kind of like a psychedelic redneck I guess? Yeah. He's that weird somewhere between a redneck and a surfer boy? Yeah, he kind of looks like the cover of Pineapple Express. He kind (laughs) of does. But their friendship is one of the most interesting things I thought in this movie, which is very odd. At first, not trusting and then uh the character of Osman, Dominic Reigns plays who's so oddly dedicated to him. Like I'm gonna help him. He's my friend no matter yeah. what. Who has gotten in trouble because of his own wild incompetence and, and <laughs> he's just useless. You know, he's he's one of those guys who just doesn't know how to do life right and you know, is in deep with local drug dealers. For things that he shouldn't be
1: well it was it was kind of like so osman the, the the main character comes from uh, a, a society where where friendship and being honor bound are very important because it's the difference between living or dying literally yes and then franco is very much a like fuck it whatever guy so he you know he, he has to struggle a lot with these expectations of friendship or loyalty mm-hmm. and just having
0: them just thrown back in his face yeah Uh, And I wish the movie had spent more time dealing with that aspect of it specifically. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's all – it's there, but that's just a subtext on some level. I mean, Osmond is definitely a fascinating character. Franco is more hard to forget you're watching James Franco. Oh, totally. You know, I mean, he really is playing the most James Franco-y character
1: ever. Oh, his character should have been just named James Franco.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it should have been James Franco. Yeah, I'm just kicking back here some old hillbilly relatives. (laughs) And Melissa Leo doesn't get a lot to do. No. Uh, I mean, no. she barely plays into the real storyline. And ultimately by the end, I was like, well, that was all right. I didn't hate it. Yeah, it just, it just was like, uh, it's kind like, of a waste of time. It felt like the, like a, an, it's just unfinished. It's, it's. It needed like two more passes on the script to, to feel like it stood right. for something.
1: Yeah, because unlike Moonlight where it's, it's going over somebody's life and so there shouldn't be a definitive ending because it's really just you're a just person's life. This, this is supposed <laughs> to be a story, like yeah. a self-contained story and it's not. No,
0: it isn't. It, in fact, it, by the end it was like, is that really it? Is that the ending? Yeah, you're like, oh, Murmur. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Burn Country, it's okay. I, I do think, like, it's more than a, anything a, a interesting. Hey, this guy Dominic rains. You're probably going to be seeing more of him. You should. Okay. He's got very sexy eyebrows. It's worth seeing, but it's such a fe- this is such a festival movie. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it totally can, yeah. Is. Um, next up is Postcards from the Edge. Of course, this is getting a re release here. Even though, despite, well, I guess it's hard to say for sure. Carrie Fisher, who wrote the original book that this is, uh, an and she wrote the screenplay. From, uh yes, who wrote the screenplay like obviously people went, oh, so this is really autobiographical, right? Because yeah. Meryl Streep plays a, a working actress who had had some bigger roles in the past, but now is kind of struggling, and she's struggling with drug addiction, and she's struggling with her mother, who was a huge actress, who's well-known, especially among the gay communities, to mm-hmm. kind of worship her, uh, played by Shirley MacLaine, and they have difficulties with their relationship. They love each other, but they have difficulties with the relationship, and mom's a big alcoholic, and you're like, yeah, this is Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Like, two <laughs> Tea. But Carrie Fisher has said repeatedly, no, it's very loosely based. And I, you know, I love you, Carrie, but I kind of call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you made up with your mom. It's cool, though. It's cool. Yeah, I really want to watch that HBO documentary about the two of them. I'm hearing great stuff about it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. well. I'm not surprised that they rushed this thing out into a Blu ray release. I mean, this is Mike Nichols doing what Mike Nichols does, which is these very human, uh dramedies mm. with very real characters, but a plot that's just kinda there. Yeah. You know? There's yeah. not much of a story happening here really. It's just following Meryl Streep around with her her trying not to start using drugs again, which early on in the film see almost kills her. Um trying to balance possibly getting into a relationship with Dennis Quaid uh and then just trying to deal with the fact he's she's living with her her mom who is has unreasonable expectations of her that she doesn't apply to herself
1: yes i I thought it was kind of weird because uh I didn't see it when it first came out because really? you know I was like twelve and that sure. looks not stupid. a twelve year old movie no um but I really enjoyed it, but but also thought, like, uh, Streep had a lot more to learn about acting. Mm-hmm. And I'm not calling her a bad actress at all. It's just the, the Meryl Streep that we know now is, is just leagues above what she was putting into this performance. Well,
0: I think part of it, this role that she's playing is somewhere between... Like, exaggerated and down to earth, and mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's a hard character to nail down on how it should be played. Oh yeah. Cause she is at some ways bigger than life, but another way she's supposed to be just very relatably human, and it's, right. a, as a comic performance, which was, I would argue has never been Meryl Streep's, like, stronger suit right. uh, between drama and comedy, as a, but as the choice how to play this as a comic role, it's a, it's a complicated choice. I don't think she's bad in this at all, mm. but it's not what you would, you wouldn't put it on a list of Meryl Streep's all time best. Exactly. Yeah. Either, um, Gene Hackman has a nice little role as a director <laughs> who has kind of a, a mentor relationship, uh, with Meryl Streep here. Uh, Richard Dreyfus plays the doctor who pumps her stomach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob Reiner is briefly in this thing. Annette Benning is briefly in this thing. Uh, and a weird ending that where she like is just a big musical sequence for film that Meryl Streep's in where she's singing a country and Western song. <laughs> and you're like, why is this here?
1: Well, I don't know. It's kind of funny because like with the, the one of her, her latest songs, not the Florence Foster Jenkins, mm. but the other one where the hearts or whatever, uh, like, oh, yeah, Meryl can really sing. It's like, no. Meryl's been letting us know that she can kind of sing
0: for quite a while. Yeah, she she obviously she's a woman who enjoys singing when she gets a chance, but also (laughs) knows she's not like the end all go to person for big singing roles either. Right. She certainly can hold her own. Which she does here, but I'm still like, it's just so tonally weird. Oh line. yeah, completely. I mean, you get it, cause the whole movie, Shirley McLean's like, you should go back to singing, you have such a beautiful voice, and in the end, she's getting to still act, and also gets to sing, and you're like, okay, I just hate this kind of country western, maybe that's all it was. <laughs> I don't know. Um there's, there's not much else here. Like I said, this was clearly very rushed out to Blu-ray, like, shit, Carrie Fisher just died, uh, we should probably put out, what do we got? I mean, they're not going to put out the original version of a, of a Star Wars anytime soon. So, but, uh, yeah, there's only, uh, the only supplement here is an audio commentary track with, uh, Carrie Fisher, which is probably enough to make it worthwhile yeah. alone. But, you know, postcards in the edge. What are you going to do? Surprised they never made a movie out of the sequel because it actually did pretty well in theaters when it came out. Well, well, she was... wrote, she wrote a book sequel to yeah. it, a follow up, but all right, moving on to our Criterion copy, uh, film that we got this, this week, you know, Criterion covers a lot of classics. They cover a lot of, like, almost-ran classics, and sometimes some shit that is just terrible, but yeah. somebody out there thinks it's great. Um, but the nice thing I, I think I like the best about Criterion is it brings up stuff – Occasionally that you're like the classics that maybe the modern generation forgot about, but that right. are unquestionably classics. And this is one of those. Oh, completely. Uh, um, this is Michael Curtis's uh, same guy who directed Casablanca, his film, Mildred Pierce. And I believe the only film that Joan Crawford ever won a best actress Oscar for Uh it was. Odd too when you look at the period of time because Crawford was basically being shut out. She was I'll put on a list of actresses that were called box office poison oh, really? the year before, who just her career started to take a dive as she was getting older and nobody mm. wanted to cast her. Michael Curtis didn't want to cast her, really did not want to cast her. I think he wanted Janet Leigh. Yeah, uh, but then her her agent talked him into doing a uh, showing a uh, you know letting him her come in and read for him, and he apparently on the spot went. I was wrong. She is definitely the person for this role. And she so clearly is the person for this role. But one of you, I know you really took to this as yeah. well. I mean, I think this is great. I'd already seen the uh, HBO miniseries from a few years ago with Kate Winslet, which is much closer based on the original novel than this is, um, which isn't, you know, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, which one you prefer, but tonally they're very different. Well, this is, I would say, while definitely a film noir, is very odd for a film noir for a number of reasons. Right. One of which your primary protagonist is a woman mm-hmm. in this period of time. And two, that it has so many qualities, more of what they used to call just a woman's film, right. or a weepy. Uh, but, it also, at the same time, especially with the framing device of, there's a murder. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, and the way it's shot, it's definitely film noir. Yeah, so, uh, essentially. The plot.
1: Yeah, essentially, we got the murder out of the way, because that happens immediately, and then it's kind of an un- unraveling of the events of how that happened. So, the central core of Mildred Pierce is, there's this absolute piece of shit woman who happens to have a mother that does way too much to try to make her happy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, this daughter is like. The worst.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and so it, it is kind of like, you know, Mildred Pierce, uh, uh, a, a fair enough homemaker, you know, not really much note. She likes to, to cook a lot. Uh, her husband loses his job and decides to be a piece of shit somewhere else. So yeah. then she decides to roll up her sleeves, get a job at a diner, and then that that kind of snowballs into her running her own uh, restaurant empire.
0: Now, al- literally an yeah. empire. <laughs> yeah,
1: and so along the way, you know, there's there's the dude from back in the day who's always wanted to have the fuck with her that yeah. uh, keeps sniffing around,
0: and and then there's the who's her I think her, her he's like her lawyer as well.
1: Yeah, well he's no,
0: involved in that.
1: Yeah, her her uh, husband's uh, ex-partner who
0: who kind of like yeah. bumped him out of the way. And then there's there's a uh the, the, I, the guy who was the investor in the, in her business who's like immediately starts sniffing around himself and well, Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm trying to describe what, what he is. He's 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 like the leisure class like the yeah. American well, leisure he's class. He's the guy we
0: see in the beginning who's been murdered. Yes. You know, so much of this film is I think Like, as it goes along, you almost forget you're watching a murder mystery. Right, yeah,
1: because that part takes such little time in the movie. But every once in a while, you come and revisit it just just long enough for you to go, like, oh, right. There's a reason why we're... we're
0: Because if you don't forget that, there's... Uh here and there, there's just enough stuff where you're like, oh, that they've now made this person a suspect right. for who it is. Because it could have been a lot of people who did this along the mm-hmm. way. And we don't even meet his character till well into the film. Yeah. Uh, you know, outside of seeing him being murdered in the very beginning
1: of it. And it's a pretty hefty movie. Uh, you definitely get your minutes worth out of this movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, just... Oh, man, the daughter, her, her
0: fucking, her shithead form just gets augmented the more she goes along. Yes. Yeah, uh, Anne Blythe, who I believe is the only living actor still in this film. She's like 88 now. Um, She was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars, which she deserved because it's a hell of a performance. One of the bonus features here, they're talking about one of the big scenes between her and Joan Crawford. Uh, when they were rehearsing it, apparently the director started just bawling watching it because he's like, it just <laughs> broke my heart watching it. <laughs> it's like she was just so good. Uh Eve Arden has a fun role in here as well. as Oh, yeah. The best friend, like hard smoking, like, you know, head hostess at the restaurant. Oh,
1: yeah. She'll come into a room, drop a zinger and then
0: get the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. It's just such a well made movie and a just at the end, very satisfying. It's If you get a chance, if you're not going to watch the miniseries, just uh, read the synopsis of the original book, Mm because I love the way the original book ends. It's just such a neat choice of what the characters, how the characters react to just the ultimate shittiest act imaginable by the daughter, (laughs) which is a totally different direction than the movie goes. Mm -hmm. They have her, I mean, like I said, there's no murder or anything here. There's no anything like that. But yeah, this is great stuff and lots of, one of the better lines of bonus features from a Criterion I've seen in a while, uh, including a film conversation between two critics, Molly Haskell and Robert Polito, talking about the original novel versus uh, the film. There is a, a documentary about Joan Crawford. There is a uh, excerpt from the David Frost show with Joan Crawford on it, which I did w- get a chance to watch the whole thing. It was very funny. She was it was later in her life, and I think she was kind of post the rough years, but yeah. not really a working actress that much anymore either. Mm-hmm. And she's hysterical. She's just a riot to watch. You can see why gay dudes love her. Yeah, she's she a co-hanger like, and a half. She is just bigger than life. Uh There's an archival Q&A section with Anne Blythe, who played the daughter. Uh, there's a interview with the au- original author of the book, James M. Kane, and then the leaflet that comes in here with an essay by a critic, Imogen Sarah Smith, called A Woman's Work about this film. But yeah, this is top-notch. On another week, this might have been the pick of the week. It could have been. It's just so good. It could have been a contender. It's it's a major film. Now, less major... (laughs) Oh, no, the actual pick of the week. Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Less major (laughs) is Psychomania, which is a 1973 British horror cult film that I've seen before. In fact, I got sent this years ago in a DVD version of this. This is Arrow's re-release of this thing. You know, uh, basically doing what Arrow does. They take little movies and they give them way more love than they deserve. <laughs> they make them look gorgeous, they pack them with bonus features, and that's great for people who really love culty like movies. This is one of those movies that has a big cult around it. And it's who understandable really like it. Yeah, you watch it and you're like, this is a weird movie. Like uh, focusing around this guy, uh Tom who played by Nikki Henson, who is a complete psychopath, but a very likable one, I suppose. Well, he's a sexy lad and they're (laughs) sexy ladies. Indeed. (laughs) That was good. Jermaine Clement there. Um, he, uh, you even kind of look like Jermaine
1: Clement. Actually, I do when yeah. I'm not so fat and don't have a beard.
0: <laughs> You're like total
1: Jermaine Clement. Well, about 10 years ago, that's all I got. I was like, hey, you know who you look like? Jermaine I was
0: Clement, like, uh, uh, that, uh, that other dude from Flight the, of the, yeah. Yeah. And that's more like Flight of the Cheeseburgers in my Tacos. <laughs> <room. laughs> <laughs> um, he is the leader of a, a motorcycle teenage gang that calls themselves the Living Dead, although he is very much loves his girlfriend and he's very close with his mom and a very sweet relationship. It's a weird thing out they're terrible. Terrible, but they're actually kind of okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they don't want to cause, like, major ruckuses, but they do want to get up to no
0: good. Meanwhile, his mom and her butler, uh, the last performance ever by legendary actor George Sanders, um, who's been in a lot of big movies like Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent – they're evil they're holding séances in their home and doing something with devil shit and it looks like they have the secret to returning from the dead which tom and his friends figure out how to return from the dead and then they got uh, crazy with so it. it turns into a thing where like he convinces his bikers we just have to you just have to kill yourselves and we'll bring you back to life and none of this really makes any sense at all. No, like what
1: was their 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 long plan?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there's no ending to this film. It's just kind of like this is like the first chapter of a horror film. It's not even like the first act. You're like, wait, what is this really over? Like, <laughs> it's just such an odd movie, and it's got aspects of psychedelia in it, and, you know, and it's got a decent enough soundtrack.
1: Yeah, you know, the, I thought the soundtrack, like, while in no way like, mm-hmm. uh, Clockwork Orange's soundtrack was definitely like a hint towards
0: Clockwork Orange. Well, I mean, uh, John Cameron, who's a very experienced guy at doing such things, had put, did the soundtrack, which was originally, which was released uh, on record and CD and back in 2003, cause people remember it really fondly. Uh, a couple of the songs from it even came out on as singles, mm-hmm. but I mean, this is one of those movies. It's not a good movie. No, but there's just enough about it that's kind of like pleasing and it's fun it's pleasingly bizarre and everybody's really pretty I was going to say
1: like uh I mean the setting of of late 60s early 70s uh british bikers like that's a pretty distinct look cuz it's somewhere between like hippie and mod
0: yeah you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's weird because they're like that the British bikers. Yeah, they're, they're more like flower children who also like to stab people occasionally. Yeah. You know, very strange. A lot of bonus features though. Like I said, this is Arrow interview with the main actor, Nikki Henson. Um, there's a piece from the previous release from Severn films here where they're interviews with a lot of the other actors. There's a piece about the composer. Uh, the, it's, you know, a, a piece about restoring it. I mean, this is as, Good releases. This movie is ever gonna get. So if you're, if this sounds like your sort of thing, or you already know you love it, this is the one to pick up, as well for another Arrow Films release of Slaughterhouse. Oh this my. Is, I remember seeing the videotape of this and going, even in my big horror phase, yeah, I'm not gonna rent that. That looks terrible, and it's not anywhere near as terrible as I thought it was gonna be. Um, it ain't good. It's. I'm sorry. This is not arrow. It's this vinegar, is vinegar strokes syndrome. My mistake. It is definitely a knockoff of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Except this is from 1987, and it's playing it much more for laughs. Yes. Here, uh, <laughs> the old an old farmer named Lester Bacon. Get it? Yeah. As, uh, lives with his simple minded huge son, Buddy, who is a giant fat guy who can't speak, but he, but he grunts and squeals like a pig. and he sure can swing a cleaver. And he's got a huge ass cleaver. And, uh, he has a problem where, like, he kind of isn't clear. On when not to kill people. Yeah. Like there's a whole thing like, why did you kill them? He's like, (laughs) sorry, which I guess is picked for, sorry dad. (laughs) But when dad finds out that uh, some people are trying to take the slaughterhouse farm away from him, he starts ordering his, okay son, these people you can kill. And then he
1: still kills a few
0: extra. Well, yeah. He still is like, well, they were there. Yeah. Gotta
1: get, gotta catch them all. It's like Pokemon.
0: It's weird with a group of teenagers who inevitably are in this thing who are there filming an amateur horror movie for some reason, Mm. but, like, with nothing but one camera and (laughs) no apparent urge to actually act or anything in it. Yeah. Just to basically fuck around. Someplace. Yeah, they, They're like, Oh, it's an abandoned slaughterhouse, which clearly it's not, but they're, they, they've decided it is. So they're wandering around through it. And there's something to do with the, the local sheriff who's having an affair on his wife with a local woman. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of details that don't really serve any purpose here, except like, okay, I guess we're going to pat out these characters with some little facts about themselves. <laughs> I laughed watching this. I was like, "Yeah, it's cute." It's like it. It's not till the third act it really turns into a horror movie, like at all. Mm-hmm. Before that, it's really just kind of almost a satire of Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: Kind of for me, it was a big old passerini.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't blame you at all. I mean, this is only for people who are really into the eighties horror films, and as such, there are a lot worse eighties horror films than this one. To be sure that we've probably talked about. We really have talked about a few of them. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, I mean, I had fun, what it's worth. This is not a movie I'm ever going to come back to. Right. And I did like the last 20 minutes or so where it does turn into like, you know, he just starts killing people left and right mm-hmm. and it gets pretty violent and has kind of a cool little ending. Um, all, even though it's still like, it practically goes, buddy will return in Slaughterhouse <laughs> 2. <laughs> the buddy strikes back. Uh, but lots of bonus features here, including a commentary with the writer director, Rick Rossler who's probably like, seriously, you're going to pay me to talk about slaughterhouse. No, okay. <laughs> uh Interview with the lead actress here. Cause it's kind of a final girl movie. Kinda. It follows some of the rules, but not all of them. Um, anyway, there's a lot of stuff. There's a, a t- shit ton of extra features here. A lot of archival interviews with various people involved in here. A, a uh, teaser for a possible Slaughterhouse 2 called Epilogue 30 Years After the Slaughter. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. It seems unlikely that we're going to get a Slaughterhouse 2 at this point. Um A kind of cute thing that they put together a don't smoke in theaters thing with the main two villainous characters here. Mm. Like for theaters to play before other movies. Like kind of an Alamo Drafthouse type thing, but back from back in the day. When
1: you could smoke in a theater?
0: Yeah, back when they were first changing it when you couldn't. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, the shooting script. I mean, it's a solid package for a just kind of mediocre horror comedy that is, you can see why everybody forgot about. Uh, another one of those little weird horror movies that somehow slipped by is Pulse from 1988. Now, this film also has a, a cult following to it. And you see why watching it? It's odd that it's one of those, it's one of those rare films, horror films where the villain is a supernatural thing. Uh, presumably. Okay. Or maybe it's alien. It's hard to say. And they never really explain what the fuck it is or where it comes from. You're like, okay, except it's some sort of sentient electricity that's in these people's house at the beginning of the movie has killed the neighbor by or the, rather the neighbor ended up killing himself uh, and and has destroyed his whole house. And the kid next door played by Joey whoa. Lawrence <laughs> whoa, <laughs> from Blossom. I think this is probably his first role uh is the one who's starting to clue in that hey, something is wrong here. Something's going weird as his house starts trying to kill him. And houses this,
1: usually don't do that. And then his
0: mom. And then eventually his dad, played by Cliff the Young. Yeah, houses don't usually do that. And I mean, it's okay for what it's worth. It's there is some clever shit the movie does to try and like figure out how the house by itself could try and kill someone. Mm-hmm. You know, with the electricity sparking through stuff and It is a little frustrating that by the end you're like, seriously, you're just not even going to touch on what this was and why it (laughs) happened, (laughs) you know, but whatever. It's a forgettable horror film, but like it, it seems to have a cult following to it. So if you were wondering whatever happened to the movie Pulse, well, this is what happened to it. There's a, I'm sorry, there's a whole slew of ones you didn't get to see, right. so I apologize for that, but I'm just getting through them here. Another horror movie that's coming out, not a retrospective, is We Are the Flesh. I actually wrote a review, I think it was one of the last movies I did write a review for for the site, uh, because we were covering some stuff that played at the Fantasia Fest in Montreal, and I was kind of excited about this. I had heard good things about it, and I did not care for it. And when you see it, you will understand, even if you're one of those people, and I know a few who loved it, you will totally understand why some people just totally hate her. <laughs> like, Aww, por no, it's this main guy, Noah Hernandez, who is a very crazy dude living in like an abandoned warehouse. It seems like things are post apocalyptic. He's like trading stuff under a door with someone else. You're not really sure what's going on with that. Uh, and then these two teenagers, a brother and sister, Fauna and Lucio show up and he's basically like, okay, you can live here. Uh, but you have to help me turn this building into this thing I'm turning it into, which I guess is supposed to be a womb. It oh, looks okay. very womb like. They never say it, but you can't help but think it. And meanwhile he's doing stuff like, okay, and you guys now have to have incestuous sex, which they do full on triple X style on. Okay. Screen. And uh I don't really know what happened. It's you watch this whole movie, I'm like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it's one of those films that's so utterly nonsensical. There's just no sense to it. It's so ugly. The stuff that's in it, there's no continu like continuity to a plot of any kind or for characterization. By the end of it, I was like, okay, that was, I guess technically a movie I just watched. <laughs> I can tell you that I really, really fucking hated it. All <laughs> right. I'll tell you that about it. Um, I, I don't. I, this is an error release, like I said. Who tend to release stuff for horror fetishists, and and a lot of good stuff for that. This is one of those I was just not fetishy about. I don't get it. I will say the lead actor who plays the the guy living in the place, he's really good. He's super expressive. I would definitely watch him in something else. Okay. He's one of those guys. He's just got a rubber face, you know? It's just like, damn, man, you're so just crazy, exp- creepy expressions. Yeah, he's like Bruce Campbelled out and shit groovy but I, I don't know what happened in this movie I mean maybe you want to give it a try I read one review that said everything is actually a metaphor for something to do with the Mexican Civil War or something no, like I was that. like I Come really on. I don't think so I, gets it's, like, in September like I don't mind films when they do the surreal or the absurd but there has to be some level of like something I can follow.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, some know, sort of like contact point. Yeah, if,
0: the, if you have a lot of symbols, that's fine, but there should be, there shouldn't only be symbols. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we've got here. There's a few bonus films here, including two short films by the director here, uh, uh, an interview with the director that has a certain amount of insight into what happens, uh, more interviews with the actors. I don't know. Maybe this is your type of thing. It certainly wasn't mine. Um, another film that, pff, what the fuck happened here? Okay. I get it. Mark Neveldean, you wish you could get that crank money back again, <laughs> but, um, you know, what's his face? Jason Statham isn't interested in making another one. Oh, he's not. Mark Neveldean is producing this thing directed by Sean Crahan called Officer Down that apparently is an adaptation of a graphic novel I've never fucking heard of. St- Sean Crahan, if you don't know, is the drummer for uh, slipknot, <laughs> the, like, a slipknot, the heavy metal band. Wait, it. which one? Cause they have
1: like four drum kits. He's
0: the one known as Clown. Oh, that one. Okay. Gotcha. This is his directorial debut, I believe. The storyline featuring Kim Coates from, uh, Sons of Anarchy, amongst other things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is playing a police officer who they just keep bringing back to life using the power of tel- telekinetics and science. Which sure. basically goes out a la Robocop and just brutally murders criminals and, uh, sort of post-apocalyptic, near post-apocalyptic world, I but then gets killed repeatedly and they drag him back and they, they use the telekinetic power to bring him back to life and then he goes out again and it follows this young guy who, they're like, oh yeah, you need to uh tail him and just at, clean up after whenever he's done, but he's like, no, I want to be his partner and that causes all <laughs> kinds of problems and makes no sense. He's a completely, everybody in this film is completely unsympathetic. There's a lot of recognizable faces, You're like, oh, I've seen that person from that TV show mm-hmm. and they were on that. But ultimately, this is trying to do that crank sort of thing. Like, it's way over-the-top violent and absurd and doesn't work even close to as well as that Mm. did because it's all stuff we've seen a thousand times before. I mean, like, when Hobo with a Shotgun did this, we had already seen it too many times. By now, we've seen it way too many times, and there is nothing to recommend this film at all. Done and done. Yeah. Officer down. this movie is just – I can't – I can't believe some people gave it a good re- review. I was like, this is, I just couldn't wait for it to be over. I was like, this is just trash. Proud of being trash. That's not even good at being trash. I try. <laughs> not you. Also oh, okay. down. Oh, God. Sorry. Uh, real briefly, because I watched this, but I gotta admit, I just kind of lost interest halfway through and faded away and started looking at my phone. as a hundred streets. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I should do more, be more responsible. This did get mixed reviews, but some critics really liked it. And the reason I asked it for it is because it's got Idris Elba, who everybody oh, yeah. loves, and Gemma Arterton, who I'm a big fan of as well. And it's one of those films that like where it's like a whole bunch of different people whose stories kind of s- slightly coincide here right. and there. And, like, Idris Elba is definitely kind of a, one of the primary stories here, playing an ex-soccer uh, player who's, like, a major hero. Like, everybody loves him, but he's separating from his wife, played by Gemma Arderton. They're, like, they're in trial separation. Type right, they're just giving it a shot. She's already sleeping with some other guy who she used to know. Um He is hitting rock bottom. Like, he's regularly getting spotted by photojournalists doing coke and, like, being drunk and sleeping with hookers. Man, and what he's just it. doing football um, things. He, it ain't he, no fun. No, no. He's being a real train wreck here. <laughs> uh, and then you have um this other guy who's married to this woman, and he's a taxi cab driver, and they're trying to decide if they can have a kid, but they're having trouble getting acceptance to have a kid, and then he accidentally hits a woman uh, and kills her on the street, and it just ruins his life. Oh, with his cab. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then there's, uh, like, a young man who is the guy, same guy who plays the younger half of Firestorm from Legend of Tomorrow. Right. Uh, who I referenced earlier, who is trying to get out of gang life by, like, becoming an actor. And all these things kind of, sort of tie in with the characters. I don't know. You watch this whole thing, you're just like, okay, this is a, like, feels more in common with Crash than anything else. Mm-hmm. Trying to say something about racism, but say it really lamely. Um, <laughs> none of the characters are particularly that endearing or likable. I don't know. I mean, this is definitely a miss. It's one of those like, Hey, Hey, I bet you, if you had brought someone in to completely rewrite this script, this could have been a good movie. <laughs> First off, it'd have been 10 streets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Focus. Focus, people. Focus. 100 streets. Yeah, not really doing a lot for me. Um, the last film we're talking about this week, assuming I didn't forget anything. Did I forget anything? Is no, it, I, think, I think
1: that's it. Is this, is this your pick of the week?
0: No, it is not my pick of the week. <laughs> last film we're talking about is Billy Lynn's hat, long halftime walk, um, a film that was Very, it was just slaughtered by the press when it came out. That was expected the way it was tracking to be a big like Oscar film. I don't see how they (laughs) were thinking it was going to happen, man. Um, this is Ang Lee who regularly gets his films there in that Best Picture nomination spot, and the biggest problem with the theatrical release was they released this thing with I I forget what the actual uh, um. percent, the high frame rate uh, level, 120 frames per second at 3D at 4K oh, re- resolution. And everybody who saw it went, this looks terrible. Like, it's over twice the last one that did it, the original <sighs> Hobbit, with, at 48. And everybody hated that when that it did it. Went Like, stop this. Don't do that. Right. It looks bad. It's like, well, maybe if we do it, like, over double that, it'll be even better. And everybody said, I couldn't even focus on the movie.
1: Well, so I think the actual title should have been... A bunch of people needed their SAG cards
0: renewed. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> I mean, this isn't even like close to the worst thing we talked about this week. It's not even a terrible movie. It's just bland and insulting by the degree of work that clearly went into it. Yeah. That doesn't pay off in terms of a good movie, particularly. Well,
1: pretty much everybody in this thing, except for maybe Steve Martin for half a second, Looks like that they were really trying to
0: fight that drama. I mean, they took an, an hour earlier. Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of like, like, uh, just kind of Logie. And it follows the lead character, Billy Lynn, played by Joe Alwyn, his 19 year old army specialist from Texas, who was caught by a, a camera uh, trying to save his sergeant, like going out in the middle of gunfire by dragging him to safety. And it kind of made him this big hero, you know, and, you know, this happened in Iraq. So this all happens. He's come back home to celebrity media status and is the media sort of promotes him and the rest of his, his, uh, his, what do you call it? His, uh, oh, his, his, uh, squad, his squad by doing this nationwide victory to- tour. And we're kind of come to the end of this where it's a Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving hometime halftime show that with Beyonce and, and, or I guess it was, uh, Destiny's Child. Yeah. So it was supposed know.
1: to be in the past.
0: Yeah. Uh, like being the lead and they're supposed to be out there with them and they're just kind of, overwhelmed, don't really know what's going on. They've all got some degree or another of PTSD. Like, one of them literally is deaf, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and they – they don't really know what's going on. They don't feel like they deserve anything. They know they don't deserve this. Like, they're yeah. all kind of like, I don't know what this is all about specifically for us. They don't really completely gel with that idea that you guys are – we're using you as a symbol here. You know? Right?
1: Yeah, and, and even like the, the PTSD, which is a pretty serious topic, was, yeah. was kind of handled with – kiddish gloves to where it didn't have enough impact. Yeah. So it's yeah. just like, okay, well, then why even bring this up? Why don't we just see, like, a scene of him, like, sucking down a Slurpee for 30 minutes?
0: Uh, yeah, there's, you know, a certain amount of Garrett Hedlund plays his sergeant here, who's has a couple likable moments where you're like, yeah, you're being a sergeant. You're doing what you have to do, but it's, you like him a lot when he lets that facade drop for a minute to be just one of the boys, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, okay, but like these kids are kind of dicks too on the whole. You're not really that crazy about him. And Billy himself, like when this Dallas cowboy cheerleader is clearly like making bedroom eyes at him, he, Basically manipulates her to like – I presume get a blowjob in a back room which is like marketed as sort of like, oh, it's kind of a love story here but you're like – no, not really. Oh, I thought he was trying to get her digits. Well, he was. But, I mean, they're they, you know they getting it on, and then it flashes away, and you're like, okay, I don't know what just happened, if they just made out and that was it, or it went further than that. Well, she's a professional, so she's not going to do that before she goes on stage. But she's kind of doing this whole, like, well, you know, I'm a Christian, and I believe in all this stuff. And he's like, uh-huh, uh uh-huh, shut up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what was kind of fun was uh, one of his squad mates uh, plays uh, Alana's uh, gay Puerto Rican roommate and brought. City
0: oh yeah <laughs> so- I totally I was trying to figure out who, where I knew that guy from um, there's a lot of recognizable faces here. Like Chris Tucker plays like this sort of liaison, uh, like making all this happen, who is surprisingly, I thought for sure they were going to make him into a villain. And as it goes along, you're like, yeah, eh, no. he. it's like, no, he's a decent guy. Who's like kind of saying, look, I'm don't get excited, but there's a chance that Hollywood is going to pick up you alls story and y'all will all be well paid for it. Uh, there's a chance. And of course, immediately they're like, yeah, we're gonna be rich. He's like, no, calm down. <laughs> Um, uh, as you mentioned, uh Steve Martin playing the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, which I don't think they ever flat out called them. Oh the no, Dallas it's not Cowboys. the Cowboys; it's the Texas persons or something. Yeah, it's the Cowboys. <laughs> uh, Vin Diesel as <laughs> the now dead uh commanding officer from Iraq, who we see in flashbacks, who gets to have occasional words of like messianic wisdom that our young character can. Yeah, reflect, um, his his performance had extra turkey before shooting. <laughs> it really did. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson as a small role as somebody who's trying to like make money off these kids by getting them to, like, endorse a product, essentially. I mean, this whole thing takes place over the space of maybe about two hours. Dude, we we haven't even talked about Kristen Stewart. Oh, yeah, Kristen Stewart, <laughs> who plays his sister who doesn't want him to go. And if you watch the trailer – when I watched the trailer of this, I thought it was a romance movie between him and Kristen right, Stewart. Right, I thought it was a Kristen Stewart movie. Yeah, she's barely in this thing, you know, and, and like, I don't know. I mean, everybody here is, like, just kind of here to say, hi, I'm in this movie. <laughs> I know at the end of this, uh, I, I and apparently the book is very much considered to be like a satire, like funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see anything funny. No,
1: here. there wasn't a joke to be found.
0: Yeah, I don't get it, how this ended up being so kind of dry and even like dour, really. Like, there's just no real joy here. And maybe that was the point Ang Lee was going for, that like, you know, despite... They're surrounded by fireworks and half naked women and celebrating everywhere. Like, America, rope large. They're just like, I just want to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> as, as do the viewers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not a great movie. It's like I said, not the worst thing I've ever seen, but you can, you're totally like, how in the hell did they think this was going to be a best picture novel? Yeah. Jeez. I have no Ooh. idea. There's, um, collection of deleted scenes, about 10 minutes. Uh, there's a look at the novel and how that, how they translated it to screen, a look at the cast, uh, how they recreated the big halftime show, a real 2004 halftime show, which is admittedly kind of impressive looking in here. Mm. And then a look at uh, how they prepared for the military parts of this thing and the flashbacks and they're doing military things. Whatever. This is very forgettable. You know, I realize I still haven't said what my pick of the week is, but I'm just going to go with Moonlight because you know, okay. you're going to get in trouble if you don't. So. No,
1: no. I mean, it's the one time that like the Oscars and good taste actually aligned.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it wasn't my personal favorite thing that came out this week, but you know what? I don't get to pick every week this week. I'm handing it to you. Well, thank you. And I did love Moonlight. I thought it was terrific. Awesome. Yeah, just wasn't the best. This oh, you! High <laughs> <My> privilege. <laughs>